Again, Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefit. Who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from destruction, who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercy, who satisfies your mouth with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. So last week I was at a conference and stuff, and so God excuse me, I'm kind of inspired up and whatnot. Uh, I've kind of lost my, my, my mojo juice, honestly, for the last quarter or so, but these things like this, it just really inspire me. And it's kind of geared towards for small businesses, et cetera, right now. But it's a lot about personal development. Um, and I'm just saying, why are we here this morning? Why are you here this morning? You know, it's just because it's a, the Sunday morning, it's just what we do type of thing. Um, but, you know, so many times, and one thing I heard, and, I, and it's, it's something that I thought is very profound, once the student is ready, the teacher will show up. Once we're ready, the teacher will show up. We can come to church, you can go to class, you can do this and you can do that, but if we're not ready, the teacher, it just there's nothing there. So, and I guess that's encouragement for me this morning is, why are we here this morning? Are you ready to hear from the teacher? And um, once, once we become right, the world becomes right. Amen. So it's like, no matter how hard we try to be, be the person or whatever, but if the person's not right, the world won't look very right to you either. <clears throat> With that, I want to sing a few choruses here. Um, why don't we all rise, and uh, we'll sing a few choruses here. And then I'll probably open up uh, if you have any uh, song selection uh, that you like to sing into your lion's praises or whatever, just feel free. Uh, I know we're kind of getting a little bit on the late side here, but uh, we'll do a few choruses together. To begin with, uh, we will glorify the King of Kings. <clears throat> we will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the King of Kings. We will glorify the Lamb. We will glorify the Lord of Lords, who is a great I am. Lord Jehovah reigns in majesty. We will bow before his throne. We will worship him in righteousness. We will worship him alone. Amen. One second. Um. The other one is, I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. <clears throat> I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. 
I will say this is the day that the Lord hath made. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. He hath made me glad. I will rejoice for he hath made me glad. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Um, we bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. We bring the sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of thanksgiving. And we offer up to you the sacrifices of joy. Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. <clears throat> Come bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord. We stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand in the holy place and bless the Lord and bless the Lord. Let's repeat. Come bless the Lord, all ye servants of the Lord, which stand by night in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hand in the holy place and bless the Lord and bless the about him in it. I think we know this one or um, enough of us. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. <clears throat> I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. All things are passed away. I've been born again, more than a conqueror. That's who I am. I'm a new creation. I'm a brand new man. Somebody have a song they'd like to sing? See, Phil's got the book open. I'm looking for a song. <laughs> sure. Seven hundred and eighty-five. <laughs> yep, seven hundred and eighty-five in your Zion's praises. 
Thank you, Phil. <laughs> this song always inspires me, um, especially verse 2. There was a long, long time ago a God whose voice the prophets heard. He is the God that we should know who speaks from his inspired word. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He tinted skies with heavenly hue and framed the world with his great mind. There is a God, he is alive, in him we live. And we survive from the star God created man. He is our God, the great I am. There was a long, long time ago a God whose voice a prophet served. He is the God that we should know, who speaks from his inspired word. There is a God, he is alive, in him we live and we survive. From the third God created man, he is our God, the great I am. We got it too high there, sorry. Secure is life from mortal mind. God holds the germ within his hand. Though man may search, they cannot find. For God alone doth understand. There is a God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. From the star God. Created man, he is our God, the great I am. Our God, whose son upon a tree, our life was willing there to give, that he from sin might set men free. And evermore with him could live. There is a God, he is alive. In him we live and we survive. From dust our God created man. He is our God, the great I am. Get it right one of these times, so apologies. Yep, uh, yeah, why don't we go ahead, and I think we'll close with that, and um, turn it over to the children's lesson. And we thank you, Lord, for 
your living word. Thank you also, Father, for your living people. You said to us in 1 Peter chapter 2, you are living stones, lively stones. So, Father, I thank you for those living stones that we can come together and we're not dead bones. But you have given us that life-giving spirit. And I pray today, Father, that as we come together and just, even if we just say hi to each other and don't know each other well, or if we've known each other for many years and have deep conversations today, that your life-giving spirit would communicate from our spirit to each other, your Holy Spirit through us. As you said, Jesus, he that believeth on me out of his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. So water us today. Water us through each other. In Jesus' name, amen. Isaiah chapter 40. The Lord has been speaking this word to me in verse 1. As I prayed and sought the Lord today, today's been one of those days where sometimes I have sermons that brew in my heart for a month <clears throat> and usually what I, what I mean by brewing you know if you guys would brew coffee you know how coffee is brewed right you take the coffee grains and by the way they're not whole beans anymore they've first been crushed and then you put them into a, a little coffee strainer and and then you get water and you put the water in the coffee maker and and that water heats up Hot water then begins to seep through these small little crushed up coffee grains and it slowly drips, drips through until the coffee pot is full. You ever felt like God's coffee? Sometimes that's what I mean by a sermon brewing. It literally crushes me. It grinds me up. Like Jesus said, unless you fall on this stone and are broken... Something worse is going to happen. Anyone tell me what it, what's going to happen if we don't fall on a truth and are broken by it? That truth will fall back on you. And what will it do to you? Crush you to powder. I've been in prayer meetings where I've heard people pray these prayers. Oh, Lord, break us. Crush us, Lord. And I start getting really scared. Seriously, in my heart, I start trembling. That guy has no idea what he's praying. You, none of us want to pray that prayer. Because when God crushes us, grinds us to powder. Is that really what you want? But that's what happens when a sermon brews in me. It's a truth that I think is worth preaching. And I get fired up about it. And I think, boy! I'm going to preach this sermon. Yes, Lord, that's a good truth. I get all excited. And then the Lord begins to say, go back and read it again, Phil. Go back and read it again. And every day, I go back and I read it again. And then the Lord begins that work of conviction in my heart where all of a sudden you're like, this truth takes on a whole new meaning and it begins to grind away at your self-will at my own thoughts and it begins to show me that what I was excited about is sin excuse me Lord 
I was so excited about this truth. But that excitement is sin for me because I am not experiencing the truth. It's hypocrisy. And hypocrisy is the worst sin in the Bible. Did you know that? The worst. Because it's a form of pride. The epitome of hypocrisy, as Jesus described it, was the Pharisee who came into the temple. And how did he come into the house of God? What was his attitude? Someone tell me. Oh Lord, I thank you that I fast twice a week. And I'm not like that guy on the back row. That's what you get for sitting on the back row. I can point at you. I'm not like those guys. I sit up front because I love Jesus. Sin. The Lord ever done that to you? That's what you call a truth brewing. A sermon brewed. It begins to crush you. The truth you were excited about begins to fall on you. Because I didn't fall on it voluntarily. I thought I knew it. I thought I had it. And I was glad I had it. And I thought you needed it. And I'm the one who could give it to you. That's my job. And then the Lord says, all this truth is going to fall on you. And he does it because he loves me. And he loves us as his people. And so when he sees hypocrisy in our hearts, us getting excited about a truth we have not fully experienced, the Lord says, I'm going to let this fall on you and cause you to become a crushed coffee bean. And then I'm not done yet. Now I'm going to take some hot water. And that hot water is going to pour through your life and it's going to drip into a, a coffee jar that's glass, transparent glass. And everybody's going to see the drip. And then I'm not done yet with you. Then I'm going to give you and serve you to others. That's when you become effective, spiritual energy, a life-giving spirit to others. Well, That's often what happens to me and as I share this truth to you this has been happening to me for a while and as I was praying about Lord but what is it really the, what is the what is the flavor of the coffee you know there's all we live in a world where coffee isn't coffee anymore I mean even coffee beans are roasted in different ways and have different flavors and and the Lord said, this is the word. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 1. Comfort is the flavor. Comfort. Oh, comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem. And call out to her that her warfare has ended. That her iniquity has been removed. What was her warfare? Was Israel at war here? Does someone know? When Isaiah spoke these words, it was in the time of Hezekiah. Was Israel at war? Was Hezekiah a king like David who was always out there fighting? Does anyone know? 
Remember the story of King Hezekiah? Yes, the Lord defeated the Assyrians and they didn't even fight. One angel killed hundreds of thousands of them. There was no physical war. But what was the war that they were fighting? It was a spiritual war of sin. Israel was in a state of decline for so long that by the time Hezekiah came along and he cleaned up Israel and, and tore down the idols, yet there was so much spiritual warfare and confusion among the nation of Israel over Isaiah's time. And he was speaking to them saying, if you listen to me, Israel, I could end your warfare. We live in a time where we're not physically at war. But we're at war with sin in our lives. And God's comfort to us is, you don't need to fight this war any longer. I could remove your iniquity from you. I can forgive your sins and heal you so that you don't need to fight the war against sin. There is a war, a fight that we still have to fight, the good fight of faith. But so many times what we do is we fight against God with our sin. But God, I'm not like that. God, it's not like that. Why are you doing this, God? I don't deserve this. God, your ways are not right. Comfort, oh comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem and call out to her that her warfare has ended. Where did the spiritual warfare really end? Has it ended? Yes or no? Wrong. Has it ended? Yes or no? On the cross, Jesus said so. What did he say when he died? Two words. It's finished. What was finished? Hmm? Victory over sin had been accomplished for mankind. For everyone who believes. The devil had become a defeated foe. Now is there still a fight? Yes, because we still live in the flesh. But I do not fight... With the devil as if he's a common enemy or as if he is an empowered enemy. No. Listen to these words in Hebrews chapter 2. Some of the most precious words to me in my fight, the good fight of faith. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Since then the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death he might render, someone know the word? Powerless. That he might render powerless he who had the power of death, that is the devil. That and might deliver those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. 
For assuredly, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brethren in all things, that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he is able to come to the aid of those who are tempted. Did you know Israel and all of man who lived up until the time of the death of Jesus Christ had no help in overcoming sin? They didn't. They died for their sin. I was reading to the boys last night the story of Korah. And we read, read the story of Balaam. And then we talked about the story of Cain. And the reason we talked about these three people is in Jude, I was reading, in Jude, when the boys came up to me and said, Dad, are you going to read from the Bible with, from, for us tonight? And I said, sure, I'm going to read to you what I'm, what I'm reading, sitting here reading. And I was reading through Jude, but I didn't start in Jude, and you guys should try this sometime, because the important truth of Jude is found in 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. What does 1st John, what does John express? What does he talk most about in his books? 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John in those epistles. Someone tell me. Love. love. God's love. In this is love. He talks about love. And then you go to Jude, and Jude is this pronouncement of warning and Strong warning and judgment. And Jude gives us three people that we should not be like. Cain, he says, I'll read it to you. But these men, verse 10, but these men revile the things which they do not understand. You ever do that? Well, let me tell you about this guy, that pastor, or especially people in authority. I'll tell you about our president. I'll tell you about Mr. Putin. Or I'll tell you... Okay, I'm listening. This is in the context of the argument that Michael the archangel had with the devil. Look at verse 8. Yet in the same manner, these men, he's talking about men who were in the church. They were among the God's people. Yet in this same manner, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesties. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, the devil was trying to pick a, pick a fight with Michael the archangel. Now, do you know who Michael is? Who is Michael? What's his role in the heavenlies? Someone tell me. What, what role does he play in the book of Daniel? He's the warrior angel. He's God's fighting messenger. He is the one who led the armies of heaven in Revelation 12 and kicked the devil out of heaven. 
He was the lead angel in that fight, according to Revelation 12. So he is the devil's arch enemy. Who was the devil before he fell? Someone tell me. What role did he play in heaven? He was the worship leader of heaven. Yes, Lucas. What were you going to say? Yes, he was the most beautiful worship leader. He was one of the highest next to God himself. You can read this in Ezekiel and in Isaiah, but especially in Ezekiel. Describes who he was and how he fell. And when he fell, he said, I will be like the most high. I will be God. And he persuaded a third of the angels to come and join him in this fight to overthrow God himself from his throne. Can you imagine that audacity? A created being in the heavenlies, living in the presence of God, living in a world where there was never an ounce of sin or pride or any such thing, all of a sudden his heart being lifted up with pride, tells us in Ezekiel, decided, I'm going to be God. And so he goes around to many of the angels. I don't know how many a third of the angels are, but my guess is they're millions. And he convinces a third of them, and they start a war. And God says... Michael, you lead the fight against the devil. So this is Michael and the devil having an argument. They've had some history. Notice the humility of Michael. They're arguing about a pointless argument. Who cares where Moses is buried? Do you care? What point? How is that relevant in the whole plan of salvation, where Moses is buried, he's not there in his body any longer. He showed up on the mount with Jesus. When Jesus was transfigured with Peter, James, and John, and God himself, the Father, came down and said, this is my beloved son, and Moses and Elijah were the two who showed up. Who cares where he's buried? But the devil was after something else. And he still is. All he wants is a good argument. Can he get you to argue about things you don't know that much about? And that he doesn't know that much about? And that are completely irrelevant, by the way. Can he? Michael was reserved and humble. As the devil tried to pick this argument with Michael. And argued about the body of Moses... And Michael did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment. No railing. Boy, he sure could have, don't you think? He sure could have told the devil who he was and where he's going. But he wouldn't. All he said, this is all the devil got out of him. The Lord rebuke you. That's it. Michael understood who his God is and who the devil is. And what a fruitless argument can do. And how worthless it is. He wouldn't go there. But these men in the church, Jude is saying, these men 
revile the things which they do not understand and the things which they do not know by instinct and the things which they know by instinct like unreasoning animals. By these things they are destroyed. You pick up an argument with the devil himself or with anyone that he uses to pick up an argument with you and you become like an unreasoning animal. Destroys you. Destroys your faith, your peace, your joy. You're the one who is destroyed by the argument. And you know what I found? The argument can be right in here, hidden in my own heart. I may not say it because, well, I know that's not right. But boy, I go away. Argument is raging in my mind. And I'm winning the argument. And you know what happens at a time like that? The Lord's Spirit doesn't rebuke the devil. He rebukes me. The rebuke ended. The argument ends with the Lord's rebuke to me instead of the Lord rebuking the enemy of my soul, the devil. By these things they're destroyed. Woe to them. Woe to us. For they have gone the way of Cain. You know what the way of Cain is? And for pay, they have rushed headlong into the air of Balaam. And they've perished in the rebellion of Korah. Those three men. Think about it. What was the way of Cain? Can someone tell me? Where did he go wrong? Lucas. But long before he killed his brother. He did kill his brother. But where did he start going wrong? Jealousy. Jealousy. But even before that. God blessed Abel's offering and not his. Why do you think God did that? You ever wonder, where did Cain go wrong that he didn't get God's blessing? He was the oldest of the boys. Because he gave his uh, worst fruits and vegetables. Okay. It says he brought fruits and vegetables. And Abel brought the best of his lamb. The secret is found in Hebrews chapter 11 where it begins the story of the faithful people of the Bible with Abel. The secret is found not in how God describes Cain because there's silence there, but in what he says about Abel that Cain didn't have. What does it say? How did Abel come with his offering? Had God commanded anyone to come to him with an offering up to that point? Can you read anywhere in the Bible where God said, when you come to me, come with an offering? No. The law had not yet been given. Long before the law of Moses, God had never said anything like that yet. So Abel came, two words, by faith, Abel came and offered the best to God. And then Cain came also. 
Cain also offered his offering, but not by faith. What does the scripture say in Romans 10? And also in Hebrews 11 in verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must, what? Believe that he is, and, here's the key, what is he to you? He is, I can believe God is, and he is a rewarder of those who seek him. That's where Cain missed it. What did Cain say about God? Very interesting. I have looked at Jude and this warning many, many times. But in our discussion last night, all of a sudden the Lord gave me a new revelation. And I told the boys, we can look at God's warning and tremble. Don't be like Cain. We know how that ended up, right? Anyone want his, the life story to be like Cain? Be a vagabond on the earth? No. Be cursed for the rest of your life? No, we don't want that. How about Balaam? You want to end up like Balaam? No, we don't want to end up like that. Killed by the Israelites. It was the end of his life on the earth. Or how about Korah? You want to end up like Korah? What happened to Korah, by the way? Someone know? <sighs> Big hole in the earth, down you go. Alive down into hell. He's the only person in the Bible that went to hell alive. The only one. In his family. It was a frightening experience. So frightening that all of Israel, as they watched it, they all ran for their lives saying, Help us! The whole earth is going to swallow up and we're all going to die. It was so frightening. We've seen people die. We've heard about people dying and going to hell and screaming and crying on their life for mercy on their deathbed. But we've never seen anyone go to hell alive. But it says their shrieks were so terrible that terrified the rest of Israel. But it didn't change their perspective about God. They still had the same perspective about God in their hearts. That Cain did. And that Balaam did. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. There's a perspective about God. This unbelief. that I can believe who God is. But when it comes to Him rewarding me. Yeah, God's a stingy man. He gives to me sparingly. He's hard to please. Did you know that God showed up at Cain's life? Even before he sinned, you can read this in Genesis, when God, as soon as God seen Cain's countenance fall, your countenance ever fallen? You've seen somebody and you were talking to him and all of a sudden the countenance changed. The look of anger, a dark look came over their face. They were happy. There was a light in their eye. Countenance fallen. God shows up right away. He didn't wait for Cain to even say a word. He shows up and he says, Hey Cain, I see your countenance fell. If you do well, I'll bless you. But if you don't, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. And it wants to have master over you. Don't let it 
God is so merciful to Cain. He wouldn't have had to do that. He could have just stayed obstinate and watched his countenance fall. Left him do his thing. But no, God is so merciful. He shows up as soon as your countenance falls. And he warns us, please don't go there. If you do well, I'll bless you. Believe in me, Cain. Long before he killed his brother, Cain had mercy. How about Balaam? Oh man, did that guy have mercy. Go back and read the story. You can read the story in Deuteronomy chapter 15, I think. Numbers chapter 15, I think it is. Let me just point it out to you so you might want to write this down and go back and read it this afternoon. Uh, it, it was in Numbers chapter 16 is Korah's rebellion. And then, yeah, you're right, Lucas, it's in Numbers 21. There you go. Actually, 22, chapter 22 of Numbers to, um, yeah, through 23. Balak sends a message to, Balak the king, sends a message to Balaam. Now, Balaam is God's prophet, but Lucas said last night, he's probably the worst prophet that is written about in the Bible. Yeah, I would kind of agree. Even worse than Jonah. And Jonah was a miserable wretch. <laughs> That's the last we know about him, at least. Maybe he repented. But he, he sure wasn't happy at the end of his story. But Balaam, he prophesied about the Lord. Where did he go wrong? So Balak sends this envoy and he says, Balaam, you're a prophet of the Lord. This huge multi or million plus people group is coming at us. And they've destroyed the kingdom of Arnon and, and they're mighty and they're powerful. And I need someone to curse them for me because I'm scared we're all going to die. They had heard the stories. You know that about Rahab. When Rahab said to the spies in Jericho, Oh, we heard the stories ever since you left Egypt. Rumors were alive and well back in their cultures too. And it caused the people to, be trem to tremble. Well, that's how Balak found himself, this king, this wicked king. So he, he tries to go and hire Balaam. He says, Come and curse him for me. And Balaam says, Hey, look, I, I'm a prophet of the Lord. I can't just come and curse people. I, have to, I can only speak what God says. So stay here for the night. I'll go seek God. And all night long he seeks the Lord. And in the morning God gives him an answer. Don't curse them. Don't go with them. They're my people. I am for them. And Balaam says, can't go with you. So they go back to the king. And the king panics. He's like, no, 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 no. This, this isn't how this is supposed to go. You go. He sends more important people more important dignitaries. And he says, by the way, give him a lot of money. So tell Balak, Balaam, for this much money I'll give you if you come and curse him. What does Balaam do that makes God angry? He goes back again to God. Why? Money. God had given him a clear answer. And Balaam had no question about that answer. It wasn't a foggy answer. It was clear. No, don't go. But Balaam, because of money, said, I'll go ask God again. Maybe he didn't mean it. Maybe he wasn't serious. Maybe he'll change his mind. He knew better. But oh, the money. 
So he goes back to God. Hey God, can I go and curse him? And what does God do? Hmm? God says, okay, go. See, God was looking at Balaam's heart and he's seeing the love of the money. And so he lets him. Okay, go Balaam. But only what I will say to you can you say. Balaam, don't you think, can't you imagine how excited this guy was? He was delighted. Yes, God's going to let me have the money. Oh, sure, I'll go and say whatever he wants, but I got the money. And so he goes. But then something happens. The only time it's recorded ever that an animal spoke, right? Balaam saddles his donkey. And this was an old veteran donkey. This donkey had been Balaam's donkey, according to the donkey. He, he was Balaam since Balaam started riding a donkey all his life. Hmm? She, thank you. It was a she. And so, he goes on his donkey, and she takes him, and all of a sudden the donkey does something really strange. The donkey refuses to go. Stops in the path, and then it goes out in the field. And Balaam's like, where's my whip? Whip! Come on, get back in the way here! So the donkey gets the donkey to go back, and they keep going for a little bit. And all of a sudden they come to a place where the way had two side walls. Probably little rock walls. You know, in, in those days, the people who owned the land, they didn't have fences like we have steel or barbed wire fences. Their fences were rock fences. And they made walls about that high with, with rock. And they still do in these cultures or even in Mexico. You can see that. That's how people build their fence. They just stack rock walls. And, and there must have been, you know, rock walls on either side. And the donkey stops and he slams this way and he slams this way. And, and he crushes Balaam's foot and it hurts. And, and Balaam's getting angry and he hits the donkey again. What is the matter with you, dumb animal? Well, he finally gets the donkey to go on. And the third time, the donkey comes to this narrow place and he just drops to his feet. Just drops under Balaam. Now Balaam's really mad. Starts beating this old donkey. And Balaam is so mad, he doesn't even find it strange that the donkey is talking to him. <laughs> Very interesting story. The donkey says, What have I done to you all these years? Have I not been a good donkey? And Balaam just talks right back to him. Yes, you've been a good donkey. But why are you doing this to me? You crushed my foot. Why are you hitting me? Well, because you're not... After the conversation, which Balaam doesn't find strange at all, he's so irate. Why do you think he's angry? Hmm? Has he had a crushed foot? No. He knows the Lord said no first time. He's going against better knowledge, but he wants the money. You ever been there? Oh, you feel it in your heart. God has clearly said no to this business adventure. But the price just went way higher. 
they offered me a lot more. And what you hear the Lord say very clearly when you prayed and sought him earnestly is the words of Philippians 4. Be content with what you have. For godliness with contentment is great gain. Oh, but God, surely you can change your mind. And so you pray and fast and you sense God saying, okay, you can go. <gasps> Hallelujah, God, God just blessed me. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. All of a sudden, Balaam's eyes open up and he sees the angel in a very interesting posture. The angel is standing in front of the donkey with a drawn sword. It's not in his sheath. It's drawn right over Balaam. What does the angel tell Balaam? He says, you should be thankful for the donkey. If that donkey would not have turned aside these three times, I would have killed you. But thankfully the donkey had more sense than you. And you're not dead. Now he had Balaam's attention. But then the angel does something interesting. It's one more chance of mercy and Balaam doesn't take it. He doesn't take it. He doesn't repent. Though he knew he was almost dead. Had it not been for his donkey, he would be dead. But he still goes. He should have packed up and repented and said, I'm so sorry, I'm going home. I'm not going. But the angel gave an opportunity and said, you can still go, but only bless. And Balaam took it. He took the opportunity because he still wanted the money. So he went and he blessed Israel three times, you know, set up the altars, three different places. Balak took him. Now curse him. Now try this. Now curse him. Now try this. Now curse him. Blessing, blessing, blessing. Finally, Balak is so angry. He says, go home or I'm going to kill you and you're not getting any money. So the prophet goes home broke. Should have been killed three times. <laughs> wow. But twice God spared his life. Did Balaam go home a happy man? What do you think? No. You know what his attitude was? One of cursing. And so he gives Balak some really bad advice. He says, hey, Balak, you're never going to fight, win this people by fighting a war with them. You're going to lose and you'll all be killed. So I got some good news for you. Go have a party with them. Go send your young men and your women to their young people and invite them to a party. Make a feast and invite them to the party. And at that party, get them drunk. Oh, and do all kinds of immoral things to them, with them. Oh, and one more thing. Introduce this God of Baal to them. Get them to worship Baal. Why do you think Balaam gave him that advice? Was it for Balak's sake? No. You see, he wanted Israel cursed. 
So he knew, as a prophet of God, if he could cause Israel to sin, God himself would discipline them. He had heard, probably heard the story of just a few months before of Korah and how God dealt with Korah. They probably heard the story of the golden calf and how God killed and disciplined many of them. He heard God's way with Israel and how he disciplined Israel for sin. So he's like, cause Israel to sin and God will defeat them. God will become their enemy. The God Baal had never been introduced to Israel before this. And it never left Israel's presence until they were all destroyed, carried away to Babylon for 70 years. And finally, the God Baal was purged from Israel, never to be heard of again. All those years, Baal, even before they got to the land of milk and honey, the land of Canaan, Baal was introduced to them through Balaam, who loved money. And it was a plague to Israel all their days. All their days. A godly king would come, and he would destroy the altars of Baal, and he would bring them back to worship, but they kept their idols in their tents. As soon as the godly king was gone, Baal was back on his throne over Israel. The heir of Balaam. Now Balaam died. There was a battle. Moses dealt with it. God did deal with Israel and those who sinned. And Balaam died in that war. Was killed for his sin. The heir of Balaam is among God's people today. The devil finds Balaam's in every church. He's looking for a Balaam whom he can just introduce a little sin, a little leaven to people and say, it's okay. Just have some fun. Harmless fun. But he leads God's people away and what God's people don't understand and don't see is that in the heart of that fun is worship. Come worship me, the devil say. Baal, worship of Baal. Israel didn't even recognize those who went to have a party. They weren't planning on worshiping Baal. No. But that's what was encased in that disobedience. And the rebellion of Korah, those three. Korah comes in Deuteronomy chapter 15 and chapter 16, or in Numbers, sorry, I keep saying Deuteronomy, in Numbers chapter 16, Korah comes to Moses, and Korah is, I want to tell you something, oh, by the way, I'm pointing out this, in every story, what do you see about God? Who was God to these, to Cain, to Balaam? What do you see in his nature? Mercy. God was merciful. He warned them. He spoke to them. He saved their life. He gave them so many opportunities to repent. This is the God they missed. Is it the God you're missing? Likewise, in the rebellion of Korah, Korah was a son of the priesthood. He was a Levite. And 
They were coming and they had just established, Moses had just established the tabernacle. And the presence of God was coming down and real worship had come to Israel like never before. I mean, vibrant worship. God Himself was there. And Israel was experiencing forgiveness of sins like they had never before. Through sacrifice and through the ministry of the Levites. And, but Korah comes to Moses and Aaron, this Levite, who was one of the administrators in the tabernacle. And he goes, all right, Moses and Aaron, you have taken on too much for yourself. He says these words. It's recorded in Deuteronomy or Numbers 16. You've gone too far. Aren't all the people holy? All of God's people are holy. God's presence is in us. You're taking, you think you're greater than everyone else and you're lording it over us. And then they say these words. Oh, and by the way, you say that God is going to lead us to a land of milk and honey. Where is it? You just led us into the wilderness. There's no milk and honey here. In fact, they say this. You led us out of a land of milk and honey. And you led us where? Out into a desert to kill us? That's where you led us. You've taken on too much. We're all holy. We can all hear from God. And Moses falls on his face. No answer. Just falls on his face before God. And then God says, Okay, Moses, you give him a choice. So Moses goes out and he says, okay, if you think so, let's let God answer the question. Tomorrow at this time, we're all going to come to the tent of meeting, the tabernacle. And we're going to let God decide for himself. And so they say, they continue the argument, and then a few of them, Abiram, and Dotham say, I'm not even coming. No way, we're not coming. You're just trying to lord it over us. We're not coming. We're staying in the... And they gathered 250 men who were men of renown, judges in Israel, older men who were elders in the camp of Israel. And they sighed with them. And a big part of the multitude of Israel all stood there with them and said, Moses and Aaron, no. Well, all of a sudden, the pillar, God's presence comes down over the tent of meeting. And Moses knows there's judgment coming. And so he pleads with God because God says to Moses, Moses, stand back. Separate yourself from them. I'm going to kill them all right now. Instantly. They're all dead. And Moses says, no, 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 God. No, don't. Look, there's just a few of them that are really rebels. The rest are just being influenced. Have mercy. So God says, okay, go warn them. Go warn them to separate themselves from Korah. Because I have to judge him. And Abiram and Dotham and their families. And so Moses and Aaron, they go out. They say, everybody stand back. Separate yourself from them. So the people kind of stand back. And then Moses says, okay, Korah. Dotham and Byram, they wouldn't even get out of their tents. They stood at their tent's door like, all right. And they were audacious enough and bold enough to have their children and their wives with them and like just 
this defiant posture. And God's cloud had come over the tent of meeting and they wouldn't even go there. They said, we're staying right in our tent. And then Moses said, okay, let's let God decide. If I haven't, if I have done this on my own, taken this authority on myself, and God hasn't told me to do this, then you'll just die a natural death. Nothing will happen. But if God is speaking through me, and I'm not here because of my own initiative, then God will do a new thing that's never been done before. And the earth is going to open up and swallow you alive. And you'll go down into Sheol alive. And just like that, as soon as he was done speaking, it happened. But Israel ran for their lives. They all ran around running for their lives. And then the 250 elders, a fire came out from God. And the 250 elder men who were at the tent of meeting, still waiting for God to prove himself, they were burned with fire out of their own incense and the fire in their, in their little incense altars came and killed each one of them. And the next day, get this, the next day the whole camp of Israel came up to Moses and Aaron and said, It's not right. You're trying to kill us and you killed Korah and you killed those 250 elders. You, are, you take too much on to yourselves. It's not right. That was still in their hearts. God's way is not right. He's hard to please. And then the plague broke out. And Moses and Aaron understood that God was dealing with the sin, the hardness of their hearts. And so they quick take a, Moses tells Aaron, get a censer and, and, and get some incense and run through the camp and, and, and still the plague. And Moses, it says that Aaron stood between the living and the dead. Many died. Over 14,000, I think 14,700 people died there. And still, Israel was angry. They would not Yield to God and Moses. And so the next day, God said, okay, let me do it a merciful way. Let me prove that Aaron is not trying to make himself some special Levite. I chose him to be the high priest. And so he tells all the elders of Israel, every man to come before the Lord with their rod and to lay it in the tabernacle before the presence of God, every elder to lay their rods there overnight. And God will choose a rod. And that man will be the high priest over Israel. Making atonement for their sin. And the next morning. All the other rods. Were normal. But Aaron's. Budded. It sprouted. And it had fresh almonds on it. And he brought out Aaron's rod. And that settled the argument but it didn't change their hearts. Wow. Do you see the mercy of God in the story of Korah? I want to give you a little secret, a better one. This one's, as they say, a juicy one. It was one of the sons of Korah who just four generations later 
was David's worship leader. His name was Asaph. And he wrote many of the Psalms that encourage you and me today. Isn't God merciful to our sins, to our own stubborn hearts? Yes, even in his judgment. He tries to convince us his mercy rules goes before him. It did to Cain, it did to Balaam, and it did to Korah and to all of Israel. God is merciful when he tries to teach us his way. But unless we open up our hearts to believe as David did, and as David confessed in Psalm 18, Lord, your way is perfect, and you make my way perfect. That takes faith to believe that. When everything in your life is not going your way, just like Israel, it was true. God had not led them to the land of milk and honey yet. It was true. Egypt was a a prosperous country, a land of leeks and onions and much fruit and produce. But what were they there? They were slaves in that land. But in the desert, they ate angels' food. And God did so many miracles, brought water out of a rock and fed them manna every morning and gave them meat through birds that just flew out of the air and landed on the ground. And and God was teaching them worship. God was intent on teaching His people who He is and His way. But all they seen was His acts. They refused to acknowledge His way. And so what they seen God as, a hard man to please. One who's full of judgment. And it struck fear in their hearts about God and his way to them. And they never were able to get pushed through that fear and see that it was God's love. What about us today? Are you like the man that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 25, where he gave the story of the parable of the talents. And he gave one ten, and he gave one five, and he gave one one. And the one who had ten, he took that, what he had been given, and he doubled it in his life, right? Or was it five and two? Thank you. Five, two, and one. The five became ten. The two, he doubled. He made four. But the one, the one said this to Jesus. Jesus related this story. He said this to the master. I'll read it to you. In Matthew chapter 25. Remember, we're talking about who we believe God is to us. Matthew chapter 25, verse 20. And the one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I have gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. The one also who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, 
You entrusted to me two talents. See, I have gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Notice the reward is the same. The reward is the same. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. He didn't splunt. He didn't, you know, waste it. He didn't splurge it. He kept what he was given. But he was afraid because he's seen God differently. He's seen him as a hard man to please. But his master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave. You knew that I reap where I did not sow and gathered where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. And he continues. But what I wanted to share with you was point out his perspective on God affected how he served him. And what did he miss that the other two had? He missed the joy of serving the Lord. He missed it. Why? Because he had the attitude of Cain. He had the attitude of Balaam. And he rebelled with the rebellion of Korah in his heart towards God. He had this, that God said to Israel in Ezekiel chapter 18. He said, God said, Israel, you say, God's way is not fair. God's way isn't fair. God said, Israel, your way isn't fair. But no, they kept arguing. No, your way, God, is not fair. And God answered them, how am I not fair? Read the argument in Ezekiel 18. It's, a, it's an amazing argument God had with Israel. And I find that God still has this argument in the hearts of his children. Because the devil is full of that argument. And he comes around just like he did to Michael the archangel. To God's effective soldiers in his kingdom. God's way isn't fair. Whoever said. Did God promise you that his way is fair? Hmm? Why can some families have multiple children as many as they like? I'll tell you a little story. The Lord often convicts me to use my own life as an example. To encourage you. After Katie and I got married, we wanted to have a family. And we talked about having children and having a family and and we had another very close friends that got married just a few months before we did. And, and we hung out a lot together. And after we got married, we spent evenings together, praying together. We, we, we were on fire for God. We'd go to revival meetings together. We'd, I remember one night we went to a revival meeting together. And that night we came home to their place and we spent the night there and and he, the, the three of us guys, went out on a little boat down on the pond that they had in their field, and we just sat in that boat all night. 
sharing, praying together. The ladies were in the house. They finally fell asleep and it was the sun came up over the pond and we were weeping together. I'll never forget that night. It was so precious. Three young couples, 24 years old, just married a few months, on fire for God, had no idea what God was going to do with our lives. They began to have children. We didn't have children. We wanted children. And I remember we began to go to the doctors and see what's going on with us. Is there something wrong with us? And in the next few years, we often prayed and cried for children. They had another child and then another and then another. And years went by and we still couldn't have children. And I remember one time we, we heard other people say, well, you know, when their children got married, we would hear uh, through the grapevine that they said, well, I hope you're not like Phil and Katie. Hope you can have children. Parents would say that to their married children. And those words hurt terribly. I didn't want to be like this. God, where is your perfect way? I believe he is. I believe you are. I believe you're perfect, but this sure isn't perfect. Not perfect. And our hearts wrestled. And as we were wrestling through things, God continued to bring us back and help us fall on this truth. My way is perfect, and I will make your way perfect. Will you fall on that rock? Will you fall on that truth? Or do I have to crush you to powder with it? And I remember we were involved in a, in a, in a youth retreat conference year after year in those first three, four years of our married life. They asked us to come and be administrators and there were like five, six hundred young people that would come together that, through those weeks uh, for a whole week listening to God's word and we were counselors there and, 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 and we heard so many stories and so many uh, prayed with so many young people and we were involved in others in young couples retreats and, and I remember we started getting letters. They would, the ministry there would start sending letters to us of people that would write of women who were, who were in the same situation as us and they were angry with God and bitter because God wouldn't give them children and God's way is not fair. And, or, or young people whose, whose father was died and, and, or, or divorced situations and the, all of these heartbreaking life experiences. And the struggle of people's hearts. God's way isn't fair. And the Lord kept bringing me back again and again and again. Is my way fair in your life? From your heart, what will you say? And he always gives us the opportunity of Cain of Balaam and of Korah. You see, you can look at that and say, God is a hard man to please. And you can end up like Israel and be afraid of this God, like this servant. Be afraid of God. Because God might just kill you if you don't obey. And what you're going to miss is the gift of the gospel. The gift of Jesus Christ who took away the power of the fear of death in your life. 
That's what Jesus came to do, to deliver us from that fear and allow us to come into the very presence of God and trust in him and believe he's a rewarder of them who diligently seek him and learn to know his way and yield to his way in my life. And that makes my life perfect. I would say for me, the crucible of this struggle came after six years, we couldn't have any children, and we were crying one night and praying before the Lord. And I remember the Lord spoke into my heart and said, you're going to have a child by the end of March. And I, I was so full of, you just spoke it quietly into my heart. I just had this, it wasn't an audible voice. You know how you hear God speak into your heart and you go, I'm even afraid to say anything. People are going to think, are you crazy? God doesn't speak like that. What if it doesn't happen? So I didn't even tell my wife. I was so scared. Our son Christian was born on March 25th. And the whole story is a miracle of how she even heard his mother, biological mother in prison in Denver, heard about us through another mutual friend who ended, was out on parole and ended up breaking her parole and went to prison and, and she was pregnant and she had no one to take her son and they, they got connected and she told him, we got a letter in the mail, would you take my son? I have nowhere to take you. And on March 25th, we had a little boy in our arms. And we were so delighted. Six months, six years of no children and struggling in our hearts. And God had finally answered. Oh, it was like Balaam getting his money. I was so excited God finally was going to reward us with a child. And in four months, we began to realize something's wrong. What's going on with this little boy? He's not developing quite right. He started not sitting up well and his head was starting to flop around and wasn't beginning to talk like he should have been. Panic. What's going on? We take him to the doctors, to this doctor, to that doctor. We do all the research. And that's where the struggle of his eight years of his life on earth began for us. Wait, did I say that wrong? Yes, I did. That's where the blessing and the gift of his life began for us. One is unbelief, one is faith. One is knowing God's way and saying it's perfect. One is saying, not fair! And as we walked through those eight years, the crucible came to me. I remember one time as he was many days in children's hospital and one time he had just survived three months in ICU on the ventilator. No one thought he was going to make it. But he did. He was our miracle boy. And we brought him home from the hospital and we noticed he wouldn't move out, stretch out his legs. He kept them up tight. And as soon as we tried to stretch him out, and we had therapists coming to our house over that time and helping him, he would 
writhed in pain. And so we took him down and we got x-rays done. And here we found out that both of his femur bones were broken. And had begun to reheal, but weren't healing properly. They weren't together. And here what had happened was at one time of their transport, when they transported him into the hospital to another hospital, the ambulance crew had tightened up the straps too hard on his femur bones and had broken them because his bones were so brittle. I remember the doctor looking at us and saying, we're going to have to re-break these bones and reset them. And so we laid him down on the bed. And to this day, I don't know why they didn't give him anesthesia or something. like. Maybe they couldn't because of all of his medical conditions. But the doctor said, Daddy, you stand here and hold his head still and his shoulders. We're going to snap his legs. And when they did, his eyes in my eyes and his scream still echoes in my heart today. After they were done, I was so angry. I looked at my wife and I said, it's not fair. It's not right. And she said, pray. I said, no. And I walked into the bathroom on the other side of the hospital where it was alone. And I screamed at God. I was so why did you make a little boy suffer so much? It's not fair. I remember walking out and all I heard God say was, Will you trust me? Will you trust me? No, I can't trust you yet. And we walked through that experience and slowly God began to wean my heart back to him. And those three years were some of the best three years with our son Christian that we had. Oh, we had so many precious memories. And the night the Lord took him was such a surprise to us. But when we watched him go, and I remember that next Monday, standing over his grave and taking a shovel and beginning to put some dirt in. And I was so numb with pain again. But this time I wasn't angry, I was just numb. I couldn't even feel my own heartbeat. I felt like I died. All I wanted to do was go in that grave with him. No purpose to live anymore. So in my wife and family, I don't know why it was that way. It's how it affected me. But in my heart, I died to God. To God's way. In my heart, I was like, God, yeah, right. Someone stood up and read this scripture. 1 Corinthians 15. Old death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? 
The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I remember standing there and listening to this and saying, yeah, Lord, it sure stings. That's how numb I was. I just said, where is the sting? It sure stings. And the Lord spoke this precious word to me. Go read it again. Go read it again. So I did. Verse 54. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying, Old grave, where is your victory? And the Lord said to me, Rejoice with him. He's saying, Amen. It happened, Dad. It happened. I'm not in the grave. I'm not in my broken body. I'm with Jesus. There's no sting here, Dad. And the Lord said to me, Will you rejoice with him now? It's true. And it built faith in my heart that day. And I would say that was the day of my Abraham and Isaac experience where from my heart I said, Oh God, your way is perfect. And you make my way perfect. Faith. Faith changes our whole perspective about God. You struggle with your maker? Woe to him who wrestles with his maker. Who says to him, why have you made me thus? Why have you made my life like this? The end of that struggle is Cain, Balaam, and Korah. You may not die like them, but you will in here. You'll experience the curse of Cain in your heart. You'll experience the whisper of Balaam. It's okay to party. Just go and live it up. Or you'll experience a rebellion heart. A heart that becomes hard. And even though God deals with judgment, you say, it's not fair. Ultimately, what you're going to miss is God's mercy, His goodness, the salvation of Jesus Christ when He said, it's finished. Your struggle with this sin is over. If you come unto me, last words, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, these are the words of comfort Remember how I started out this word to you? Comfort ye, oh comfort ye, my people, says the Lord. Is this a word of comfort to you, brothers and sisters? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, At that time Jesus answered and said, I praise thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that thou didst hide these things from the wise and intelligent. You trying to figure out God? 
forget it. He hid it from the wise and intelligent and did reveal them to babes, those who trust their parents for their life. They can't feed themselves. They can't change themselves. They're dead without their mama care. And they're okay with that. They laugh. They coo. They love life. Because they have a mom and dad who care for them. Those find this secret. Yes, Father, for thus it was well-pleasing in thy sight. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal Him. Come to me. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart and you shall find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light i said this to preachers and they disagreed with me god's way is easy being a christian is the easiest life on earth do you believe that it all depends how you see God. If you've experienced Jesus, He will take all of the hardness of life and the curse of sin, not out of your physical life, but out of your heart, out of your spirit. And you will have heaven on earth because He dwells there. And you fellowship with Him. And His life with you is a life that's what that poor servant missed. Did not enter into the joy of his master because he thought he was a hard man. How do you see God, dear brother, sister? Is he a hard God to please? Then come to Jesus and believe in him. God bless you. There, okay. Um, it was a real challenge to me. Thanks for sharing that, sharing your heart. Um, <clears throat> one of the things that really stood out to me was that, um, well, you said a lot of things, but um, about fighting, the, the fight against sin is over, but now we need to fight for faith. Um I think I think a lot of times we forget that. So, um, 
All right. A few announcements. Um, we are serving lunch here today, so everyone's welcome to stay and join us for that. Um, and we have a men's uh, book study at, at the Lap House Wednesday evening at 6.30. So whoever, everyone's welcome. Or all the men are welcome. <laughs> I mean, everyone's welcome, but it's specifically for the men. So, <laughs> um, <clears throat> remember the couples' night this Friday at uh, at six thirty, March twenty fourth at six thirty. I guess that's here at the church. And uh, and then August ninth through the thirteenth is our youth retreat. So just keep that in mind as well for this summer. So. Um, I think that's everything, and we'll just have a prayer for the for the meal, and then we'll be dismissed. So, if you all want to stand, and we can have prayer. Father, thank you for being here with us this morning and speaking to us. And um, I just pray, Lord, that this word would go deep into our hearts and would go with us throughout this week, and, and that you would just help us to look to you and believe that your way is perfect in our lives and that you will make our way perfect. Um, Thank you for each one here, and I thank you also for the food. Just ask you would bless it and just go with each one of us in Jesus' name. Amen.